So we will look at our core value series that we have been doing, the last core value, which is there on the wall, worship. I'm not going to preach on uh, worship music, by the way, if that's what you were hoping or not hoping. This picture is really just to trigger your thoughts, and, and, and that's all. And because I like the picture, maybe. But, why is it not working? I will stick really to the core value as it is hanging on the wall over there. It says, Jesus deserves the worship of the world. You agree with that? I think we say amen to that. How we live each day, welcome new people, give and serve our communities through the church has a direct impact on how the people around us perceive the Lord and his kingdom. I don't know who formulated this text, Craig maybe, I don't know. But I find it interesting that nothing is mentioned of music or singing or praying. Although that is quite a common question, right, that, that we hear all the time, hey, where did you worship this morning? And what we mean is, where did you go to church? Whereas in this text, and what, what I read just now, it's not so much about singing and things like that, or music, but rather about how we live our lives and its effects on other people as we welcome them, give to them, and serve them. And I found a picture that kind of summarizes that, doesn't it? Welcoming, giving, and serving. And here's what uh, Filippo Grandi, the man on the picture, he is the UN refugees chief. This is what he put on Twitter. I'm not on Twitter, but I found it on the internet. <laughs> Christian values are about compassion and sharing, not shutting doors and raising barriers, but give refuge to those fleeing persecution, discrimination, violence, and war. So, are people, that's the question, are people going to worship Jesus when we welcome, give and serve? Just like what this man says. Well, somebody responded to, uh, to this tweet. He said, if Christian values stand for compassion, sharing and peace, then what religion does not stand for it? In other words, what is so unique about that? Doesn't every religion have those values? So what is unique? And how does the world around us perceive the Lord in whom we believe and his kingdom through us? And how does that relate to worship? What is worship? We will look at an amazing story in the Bible that not only teaches us something about worship, but the story itself gives us very much reason to worship at the, same, at the same time. And we will read from Genesis 22. Now, if this story is new to you, it might be a bit shocking. And that's, that's why I say, before you decide to walk off in the middle of the story, we do not believe in a God who requires child sacrifice. In fact, 
the people that lived in Canaan before God's people came there were driven out of the country because they worshipped other gods who did require child sacrifice. But we believe in a God who is absolutely good. We believe in a good, good Father, as we have been singing just now. So stay calm as we read the chapter. But it is a, so a shocking chapter, really. Genesis chapter 22, first book of the Bible. Page 19 in my Bible, right in the beginning, for a reason. Chapter 22. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here am I. He said, Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them, together. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father, and he said, Here am I, my son. He said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of the place, The Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, On the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham lived at Beersheba. Now after these things it was told to Abraham, Behold, Milcah also has borne children to your brother Nahor. As his firstborn, thus his brother, Camuel, the father of Aaron, Jezeb, Hazel, Pildas, Gidnath, and Bethuel, 
en weet u wel, vader Rebecca. No, the last name I read, Rebecca. I couldn't really find a word to describe this chapter. It is just too much. And the problem with those of us who have read this chapter like 20 or 50 over times is that we are no longer shocked by it. But imagine, just imagine, the voice of God comes to Abraham. Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and offer him as a burnt offering. What is this? And Abram decides to obey. And maybe I shouldn't even use the word obey. It's true in verse 18 when God evaluates what Abram has done. He says, because you have obeyed my voice. But the word, the original word really just means to hear. Like Adam and Eve when they were walking in the garden, they hear the voice of the Lord in Genesis 3. It's the same word. And in the case of hearing to a higher authority, which of course is the case in this chapter, it, it put me to obey. But what I want to point out is a very small but very significant detail in verse 2. When God asked the question, in the translation I read from just now, it's rendered like, take your son. If you take the old English translation, the King James Version, it reads, take now your son. There's a little interjection in the original, and it means pray, beseech, please. So when God gave the Ten Commandments, for example, he didn't say please. But here, in verse 2, it says in the literal translation, please, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac. Abram, would you give me your son? I'm asking. Not forcing, I'm asking. And Abram obeys, not like, I rather obey because otherwise this big God is going to kill me. No, Abram in fact says, your wish is my command. Amazing. Now read verse 5. In verse 5 it says, and I, I and the boy will go over there and worship. And at this point Abram does not know how the story will end. And he has traveled three days with his son Isaac. And the birth of Isaac was really a miracle because Sarai, Abram's wife, was way too old to conceive. But God had promised it and thus it came to pass. And what a joy to receive this son and to watch him growing up. And Abram had three days as he traveled to go through all these mental images that he had of his son growing up. Three more days to be with his son. Three days to ask why. Why? And in fact, to make up his mind. Wasn't Isaac the promised son? 
the son that God had promised, through whom God would make him a great people. The book of Hebrews in the New Testament tells us that Abraham considered that God was able to raise Isaac from the dead. But all that Abraham knew at this point was that he would have to kill his son first. And he made up his mind and he said, I will go and worship. And here we are at the heart of worship, I believe. This is not so much about singing happy songs of praise or music. This is not about giving 10% of your income to the poor. Although these are good things, really. And I very much enjoyed the singing this morning. And it is part of worship. But this, what we read here, is something else. Worship. It's the first time that the word occurs in our English Bible. But again, in the original, in the Hebrew, the first mention of the word is in chapter 18, verse 2, where, if you know the story, these three men come to Abram and stand in front of him suddenly, and Abram bows himself to the earth. In chapter 19, Lot, his cousin, does the same. In chapter 19, verse 1, bowing down to prostrate. That's the meaning of the Hebrew word. But here in chapter 22, we have the word for the first time rendered as worship. But it's the same word. To prostrate. Stretched out on the ground with your face downward before God. In verse 12, after the angel of the Lord stops Abraham, he says, Now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from you. You see the link? Worship and the fear of God. Now what is this fear of God? Is it like being terrible afraid of a God who might kill you anytime? Or ask such horrible questions like this one? No. The fear of God is not being afraid. It's rather standing in awe of God. It's acknowledging that God is God, capital letters. In verse 16, we read, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord. Think of that. When I would need to take an oath, like in court, you put your hand on the Bible, or another holy book, or you call on the name of God, something or someone higher than yourself. But God cannot do that. If you want to know something that God cannot do, well, this is something He cannot do. There is nothing and no one higher than himself. I have sworn by myself, says God. Isn't that awesome? Literally, awesome. We stand in awe of God in whatever circumstance in our lives because God is God and we worship. I very much like the Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. There we have, if you know the these books, they have the lion, Aslan, son of the great emperor. And in one of the volumes it says, if there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they are either braver than most, or else just silly. In other words, they're either very brave or very stupid. And yet, the children in the book, they can't wait to see this Aslan, and be with him, and bury their face in his manes. He is not a tame lion, but he is good. He is the king. 
Yes, we worship God because He is God. But thank God that He revealed Himself. We worship Him for who we know He is. Abraham decided to worship. So what did he know about God? Well, the story of Abraham begins in chapter 12, where God calls him, and immediately God blessed him. So God is a God who blesses. He delights in blessing. In fact, that's the first ever, the first ever thing that God did to mankind after he created them, Genesis 1, 28. And he blessed them. Then Abraham discovers that God still helps him, even when he is messing up things in Egypt. God still helps him out. And in chapter 14, he learns that God gives victory. And in chapter 5, 15, the word of the Lord comes to him, Fear not, Abraham, for I am your shield and your great reward. Your exceeding great reward. He doesn't say, I will reward you. No, he says, I am your reward. I am all you ever want and all you ever need. And so through the chapters, as, as, as you read it, you can do that at home, Abraham grows in his knowledge of God and his love for God. And although he makes some really major mistakes, like we all do, he grows in his faith. He learns to trust God. And then in chapter 18, the Lord himself comes down to visit Abraham together with those two angels and they talk face to face and Abram really pleads with God on behalf of Lot his cousin and twice in the Old Testament we read that Abram is called the friend of God 2nd Chronicles 20 and Isaiah 41 Abram your friend and then God brought so much joy in the family of both Abram and Sarah when Isaac was born so this chapter that we read just now is not on day one, but rather after some 50 years of walking with God. And then comes this enormous test in chapter 22. And Abram decides to worship because he knows his God. In fact, he says, God, I want you more than anything else. I realize I can only have Sarah and Isaac and all the rest if I have you. And if I don't have you, I have nothing. You are my God. You are my reward. I give myself to you. And therefore, you and I can worship God, even in the midst of the most difficult circumstances. Even when we don't really feel like singing or making music, we can still worship God. Not because we understand everything about God. He is way beyond our comprehension. Not because we understand what's happening around us or in our own family or in our own lives, lives or in our own thoughts even. But you worship because you know that He is God and because you trust that He is good. Our good, good Father. We sang this now. I was driving to a meeting last Tuesday and in the car I was struggling in my mind with things I cannot understand. Not easy. But suddenly there came a song in my mind, really like, just came in my mind. 
and I hadn't been singing this song for a long time. It just came out of the blue somehow. And I sang this song to myself and to God. Do you do that sometimes? You're driving in the car, sing, where only you yourself and God can hear it. Then I arrived at the meeting and we started singing a song. And out of all the Christian songs ever written was this same song. No, I don't understand a lot of things and I struggle with it. But it was as if Father said to me, I see you, I'm with you, and here's a song for you. This was the song. Ascribe greatness to our God the rock. His work is perfect and all his ways are just. A God of faithfulness and without injustice. Good and upright is he. Ascribe greatness. That is what worship is. The old English word stems from the word worthy. So worship is worship. Ascribe greatness because God is great. The Father is great. The Son is great in wisdom, power and love. And let's look in this chapter that we read about that love. So I've said a few things about the original story and now I switch. I'm going to make a switch and go through the story again and see how it is really a picture of God the Father and God the Son. And let's look at love. The word love is mentioned in verse 2. Take your son, your only son, whom you love. It's the first mention of the word love in the Bible, and I find it very significant. God, who had foreordained the Lamb before the foundation of the world, and the Lamb is Christ, God, who after Adam fell and sin came to the world, did not introduce plan B, but rather plan A. He did not introduce plan B when we messed it up. He came up with plan A. This God is love. And he could not wait longer than page 19 in my Bible to show us in a picture, really, that beautiful verse that we read much later in John 3.16 For God so loved the world, the whole world, that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. It's bursting from the page, page 19 in the Bible. God just could not wait. When Abraham is about to bring down the knife to kill his son, the angel of the Lord stops him. Verse 11, chapter 22. Who is the angel of the Lord? Well, it's Jesus. Before he received the name Jesus, because only in the New Testament he received the name Jesus, but he was there before, the Son of God, in the Old Testament. So God the Son stopped Abraham. Don't kill your son. In fact, he is saying, I will go. One day, I will go. God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, verse 8. And do you see the father and the son going in this chapter, verse 6? So they went 
both of them together. Verse 8, so they went, both of them together. The son of his love, Colossians 1. And Abraham saw the place afar off, Moriah. The place is called Moriah. But 900 years later, in the time of King David, if you read the, the story there, God has to really discipline his people, and many die because of a pestilence that came down on them as a judgment. But when the angel of the Lord executing this judgment reaches this same place, Moriah, stretching out his sword over Jerusalem, God says, enough. And then David purchases this place from the owner to build an altar, and he says, I will not offer burnt offerings that cost me nothing. It's very significant when we talk about worship. I will not offer burnt offerings that cost me nothing. And then later, his son, Solomon, builds the temple on Mount Moriah. You can read the stories in 1 Chronicles 22 and 2 Chronicles 3. Throughout the Old Testament, this central, central question that Isaac asked, where is the lamb? It's a question Isaac asked, where is the lamb? That is in fact the question throughout the Old Testament. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son. And John the Baptist, in the New Testament, he cries out, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, who takes away the sin of the world. Three days, Abraham and Isaac travel side by side. Three years, God the Father and the Son walk side by side. Then came the moment that darkness fell on him on Jesus. On that cross, the knife came down for my sins, for your sins. And a voice, not from heaven this time, but from the Lamb himself, cried out, It is finished! And then he gave up the ghost. He died. And on Mount Moriah, different temple, but it's believed to be the same place, the curtain of the temple was torn into top to bottom. Hebrews 10, verse 19 says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, his physical body. So when Jesus died on the cross, the curtain in the temple was torn, signifying that all who put their trust in Jesus and in his sacrifice can now come into the presence of God. And then the writer of Hebrews continues, Therefore, brothers, verse 22, let us draw near. God says, come near, come near. And then, the writer continues in verse 24, 
And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together. And so, we are back at where we started. Jesus deserves the worship of the world. How we live each day, welcome new people, give and serve our community through the church, has a direct impact on how the people around us perceive the Lord and his kingdom. But no, this is not about Christian values or about being nice and helping each other. This goes so much deeper. We ascribe greatness to a God whom we know and whom we love. And we have tasted that He is good. And then we fall down and worship Him. We give ourselves to Him. And then, and only then, we give ourselves to the people around us. G. Campbell Morgan, he says, contributions to the work of the Lord are only valuable as they are gifts of those who are themselves yielded to God. And that's how Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians 8, the chapter that is really dealing with giving and sharing. When he speaks of the churches of Macedonia, he says, how they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us. How they gave themselves first to the Lord, then to us. So in worship, we give ourselves to the Lord first because of who He is and for what He has done. And then we give ourselves to the people around us, inside the church and outside the church. We worship because of who He is. God, our Creator. And I'm going to skip forward to the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, Revelation 4. It says, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. We worship our Creator. But not only that, we also worship because of what he has done. Because we know that this question that was sounding through the ages in the Old Testament, where is the Lamb? That question has been answered on that cross on Calvary. Behold the Lamb of God. And therefore, the worship continues in Revelation chapter 5, next chapter, verse 12. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Verse 14, the elders fell down and worshiped. One more thought before I close. If you read carefully in Genesis 22, which I, I hope we, we all see is probably a bit hard to follow through, but Genesis 22, right in the beginning, is really a picture of what's happening in the New Testament. So if you read carefully in Genesis 22, it seems that Isaac never left the mountain. Don't know whether you picked that up. It's very obvious that Abraham and Isaac went together up the mountain. Verse 6, verse 8, they went together. But verse 19 says, so Abraham returned. Of course, Isaac also returned. He didn't just camp there. He also returned. But the text doesn't say that. 
But the text does mention Rebecca, Isaac's bride-to-be. Suddenly, out of the blue, immediately after this story, you get those difficult to pronounce names, and then Rebecca, his bride-to-be. Isn't that beautiful? I really find that beautiful. The next time we read the name Isaac is in chapter 24. Verse 64, and I and Rebecca lifted up her eyes and saw Isaac. Wonderful love story. Verse 67, it says, Isaac loved her. It's the second time the word love is used in the Bible. The first time, Genesis 22, the father loves the son. The second time the word love is mentioned, the son loves the bride. So that, says Jesus to his father in John 17, so I'm jumping again to the New Testament, the father loves the son, the son loves the bride, so that, John 17, verse 23, the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. In other words, the love that God has for his own son is the same love as God has for you, for me. I wouldn't dare to say that if it was not in John 17, 23. The love that God has for his son is the same love as he has for me and for you. So we worship God in Revelation 4 because he is our creator. We worship the Lamb in Revelation 5 because he is our savior. But there's even more. The worship continues in Revelation 19. It says, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come. And his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. The question is, do we give ourselves in worship daily to Jesus, our Creator and Savior? And then flowing out of that, do we make ourselves ready because we love Him through righteous deeds, wherever there are needs, inside the church or outside the church? Not in order to be saved, but because we are saved and because we love Him, so that one day, we will stand before him bright and pure so that Christ will be glorified in his bride, the worldwide church, his saints. So we've gone all the way from Genesis all the way to Revelation. I hope you were able to follow through and if not, feel free to tell me. If you think, if only I were part of that story, that wonderful story. Let me say to you with full confidence the closing words of the Bible, well, almost, verse 17 of the last chapter the Spirit and the Bride say, Come. And let one who hears say, Come. And let one who is thirsty, Come. And let the one who desires, Take. 
the water of life without Christ. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you once again for your word and your love that speaks through it. As we see this father and his son going up the mountain to do something so terrible and yet so beautiful when we see that really it is God the Father who was willing to give up the son of his love in order to save us and we thank you that that is not the end of the story we thank you that Jesus rose again from the dead we worship a living God a living Savior who is not only our Creator not only our Savior but even our Bridegroom the one who longs to have us with him forever Father we pray that you will help us to let these things sink in so that it will shape our lives so that it will yield our hearts towards yourself that every day of our life will be a day of worship where we fall down before him not not in fear but with confidence because we know the God that we worship and help us as a result of that to reach out wherever there are needs to love, to give, to serve help us in Jesus name Amen, Amen.